0: Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. The following program is an MLW
1: production. All right, pal. SaveWithBruce.com is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. For all your mortgage needs, go to savewithbruce.com. Oh, my. And from there, lower your monthly payments, consolidate your debt. You may even be able to own your own home with no money down. And you don't need perfect credit. And you may be able to skip your next two house payments. Stampede your way to savings right now at savewithbruce.com. (laughs) <laughs>
2: Equal housing Letter, NMLS number 65084 Philadelphia this Sunday Something to wrestle with Bruce Christian
0: live I thought there was no work Something to wrestle with live show is even better in person The show
2: is really funny Something to wrestle with live is coming to our Philly fans this Sunday July 23rd at Theater of the Living Arts at 2 p.m.
3: I recommend coming to any live show. I haven't laughed in a
2: while. See Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson live and in living color with plenty of time to head out and see WWE Battleground. You never know what they're going to talk about, and there may be a surprise or two planned as well. Come see us live July 23rd, This Sunday at 2 p.m. at Theater of Living Arts in Philadelphia.
4: It was so great. It was a great experience.
2: For tickets and info for this or any other Something to Wrestle with live event, go to Facebook.com slash Something to Wrestle. That's Facebook.com slash Something to Wrestle. Hope to see you there. We had a really good time. Hey there, what happened Win fans? I just want to share with you a special opportunity where you could win two shirts of your choice from What Happened When Monday or something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard for a donation of $5 or more to musicoutreach.org. Musicoutreach.org wants to give lessons to kids regardless of their ability to afford it, and I appreciate any help you can give us. For the next month, July 14th through August 14th, we are giving a special deal to What Happened When fans and something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard fans. Just make a donation to musicoutreach.org of $5 or more and you can win two t-shirts of your choice from What Happened When Mondays or Something to Wrestle. Just make a small donation of $5 or more, throw us a tweet or make a Facebook mention about it and you'll be entered to win. Thanks and have a great day.
4: Welcome to WHW Monday, Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson talking about the great years of world championship wrestling the nwa and jim crockett promotions and now let's go to the ring here's your co-host hey hey it's conrad thompson hey
0: hey it's conrad thompson and you're listening to what happened when monday right here on the mlw radio network and the master of ceremonies is with
4: us mr tony shivani tony what's going on man Hey, Conrad, and hey, Slapdicks all around the world, thanks for being with us once again. Thanks for being with us in Dallas. Thanks for uh, being with us on our podcast. And and it's great talking to everybody uh, because I, I certainly have developed, Conrad, some friends over the last year. You being one of them, of course, and believe it or not, Bruce Pritchard being another. I never thought I would call Bruce Pritchard a friend. Dave Silva being another one. And then, of course, the people that we've been talking to and buying t-shirts and, uh, uh, being with us on Twitter and on Facebook. And, uh, Hey, congratulations to Nathan, the domination, Emily, for getting married <laughs> at our show. I'm sorry to say that with a chuckle, but I would say that because I had a great time and that was a wonderful memory in my life. So it's good to be with you. I, I do need to say this and we'll get into this a little bit more after watching, uh, beach blast 93. I wonder what in the, why are we talking about this shit show? I
0: guess we got to put it behind us, right? Well, we're talking about it because this is what the fans voted on. And you're going to have a chance to vote on what we talk mm. about next week. Stay tuned at the end of the show. We're going to give you all the information on what's on deck and how you can participate. And you can even join the conversation. Now, of course, the key to all this is to follow us on Twitter. It's at WHW Monday. Towards the end of the show, we're going to take some of your Twitter questions. And we could have answered one of yours had you followed us on Twitter. So go do so right now at WHW Monday. Uh, Tony, let's get right to it. Bash at the Beach ninety three won the poll, as you said. Yeah. Frankly, uh, not WCW's best work. In your opinion, is this WCW's lowest point in history up to this
4: point? That that's hard. To, that's hard to put a finger on because we had a lot of low points uh, leading up to that, uh, and there was a lot of things that we had done were, that were very very shitty. Uh, Pay per view wise, probably so. Uh, because after uh, looking at it, and it's awfully easy. We talked about this so many times. And our slapdicks know this. It's awfully easy to go back and say, boy, armchair quarterback, that really sucked. But if you take a look at uh, basically, and I know the mini movie has got everybody's attention. Oh, yeah. But it, uh, And then that was unbelievably brutal. But if you take a look at some of the matches, uh, they were not good. Many of the matches were not good. But... And uh, here's something we've talked about, and I think wrestling fans realize this, and, and I've always preached on, and I think you agree that when you have a pay-per-view broadcast, you need to end on a high note. Right. And I, I thought they did. I thought the match was the 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 final match was pretty darn good. Uh, it was the best match I think on the on the entire card, even though it did have a shitty build-up to it. So the pay-per-view ended pretty good, but during the course of the pay-per-view, it, it wasn't good at all. Well, let's run through it. I think you hit the nail on the head. The
0: reason this topic won the poll is because of the many movies that WCW produced for this pay-per-view. Before we get your take on those specifically, Tony, let's go to the June 28th issue of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter and hear what Dave Meltzer thought. He says, okay, let's go. After its television show reached a new low in retarded wrestling angles on Sunday, the hierarchy (laughs) of world championship wrestling needs a thorough house cleaning. The problem isn't trying to identify who wrote and came up with the scenario in which Sting, Davy Boy Smith, Sid Vicious, Big Van Vader, Harley Race, and Colonel Rob Parker were involved in a reported $80,000 mini-movie production to build up to the July 18th Beach Blast pay-per-view main event. The problem wasn't even in the decision to go with the same idea, a mini-movie, to build up to a pay-per-view for the third time in nine months after the second such expensive attempt failed miserably. The problem is that an organization which has so many supposed checks and balances in its hierarchy yet has absolutely no understanding of what its product is, what its audience is, and that none of those checks and balances stop the mini-movie that everyone I've spoken with, both in and outside of the organization, admits was a total embarrassment from airing. Uh, Tony, before we discuss the actual mini-movie itself, do you think this is a fair assessment from Meltzer that WCW has all this bureaucracy and red tape for management and middle management, but no real understanding of how to actually operate a wrestling business in 1993.
4: Dave Meltzer's right on. And if you take that, no idea how to operate a wrestling business in 93, they never had an idea of how to operate a wrestling business throughout the time. They bought it from Jim Crockett promotions until they sold it to Vince McMahon. They had no clue. The only clue they had at one time was hiring Eric Bischoff who had a vision who went out and knew exactly what would work, and that's when they succeeded. Prior to that, they had no clue, and that's why I always thought, and I've said this before, from the time I got back to WCW in 1990 until the time we shut the doors in 2001, there wasn't a week that went by that I didn't think that we'd go out of business because it was a horribly run operation, and I'm talking about the people above us who didn't work in wrestling. So he's accurate
0: dead-on accurate. Do you have any insight as to whether or not his $80,000 budget is accurate?
4: I don't have any insight into that, but that does not surprise me, that they would spend $80,000. Now, if you look at that, uh, did did they really blow up a boat, or was that just like a – and I watched it again and again. If they blew up a boat, $80,000 probably is right, but it looks like it was just like some sort of – graphic or an effect or well, cheesy no matter
0: what it is it's $80,000 yeah. that seemingly you could have used to bring on a Chris Benoit type wrestler who in 93 yeah. was at the top of his game and you know for whatever reason isn't a mainstay here this feels like a roster position uh, or that budget does what did you think of the concept of doing a mini
4: movie like this for an angle I thought it was pretty lame and I thought it showed exactly how fractured we were we uh, were this was a concept from Turner Home Entertainment uh, to go out and do these mini movies, and these were completely apart from any of us that worked in wrestling. These were done on the outside. They came up with their own ideas. Uh, uh, Turner Home Entertainment did, and, and I can I can throw out some names uh, that come to mind. You know, Sharon Cedillo was involved in a lot of this stuff, uh, and I'm not going to blame Sharon for anything, but you know, she was on that part of it. Uh, And they were completely separate from us. It it, it seemed odd, seemed odd, it seemed stupid that Turner Home Entertainment was apart from WCW and we never did really kind of work together. And it wasn't until Eric really took over the company when things really started to work together until things got out of hand.
0: You know, I'm glad you brought her up because we get lots of questions from what I consider to be very, very smart wrestling fans about Sharon Cedillo and and her being the... Turner exec behind all these mini movies, but allegedly, you know, and I wasn't there. What do I know? There's some sort of rumor and innuendo about a relationship. She may or may not have had with Oli Anderson. I don't mean to imply anything there, but can you
4: elaborate about what sort of relationship she would have had with Oli Anderson? Well, it, it, it goes back. If you were at our show in Dallas, uh, we talked about the alleged uh, relationship between, uh, Vince McMahon and Emily, uh, his, uh, secretary, And as Bruce said, you know, you heard things, but you never did see anything happen. So only thing you're going on is rumor and innuendo, as you guys say. Uh, I knew that her and Oli were were close and worked together. Uh, I always thought that Oli tried to work closely with her because Oli wanted her to understand the business more. Uh, Whether they had a relationship or not, I don't know. I was told one time they got married. And we're living together. Have you heard that? Well, I'm not. You know, I don't think it's necessarily our
0: place to comment. I just wanted to it out not, there that has has that been written? Has that been reported on these dirt sheets? Everybody they is w- of the opinion that they were together, and but it's for one of those so things I, where people just don't want to talk about it.
4: Yeah. Well, no. What they, they were the rumor that I heard that they were actually living together at one time. Uh, we're more than just maybe having an affair. We're actually living together. So again, I didn't see this Conrad. I really didn't. I really, I wish I could say, yeah, I was a fly on the wall. That's all, you know, them having an affair, but I didn't. And it was all just talk. That's well, all it was. Let's, let's
0: theorize for a minute here. Let's freestyle. Uh, as I like to say is, is, okay. is, is there, um, Ole Anderson seems like an old school wrestling booker. Would you agree with this? Yes, he is. Yeah. Did he get blinded by the punani and then greenlight all of these stupid mini movies to satisfy his sidepiece pastamania style
4: brother? No, no, I don't. <laughs> he gets blindsided by the what? The punani. The punani. <laughs> well, here's what I'm saying. No, I don't.
0: I, they, they did a lot of these. They, you know, they, they did the spin the wheel. They did the White Castle of Fear. Yeah. Cactus Jack lost in Cleveland. Right. This beach blast promo. Um, if if Sharon is the driving force behind them, and Oli is in creative at the time, this yeah. seems like something Oli would have just
4: shit all over. Unless, yeah, unless they roll tide, b- yeah, roll tide. Oh, okay, that sounds logical. But let me tell you this: Turner Home Entertainment did things that they never looked for approval for. They were just there. They did them. So and they never, well, they never said. You know, what do you guys think of this? They said, here it is. We're going to do this. And, oh, boy, it's going to be great. And
0: so you felt like WCW's problem. execution of these movies, these many movies,
4: was poor. Is that fair to say? It was It was fair to say because we attempted to uh, be different than Vince McMahon, right? We attempted to be legit wrestling when he was entertainment. And then we would resort to things like this.
0: Which which of those promos that I listed off there, Spin the Wheel, White Castle of Fear, Cactus Jack, Lost in Cleveland, uh, this mm-hmm. Beach Blast promo, which of those do you think they did
4: a, a, the best job with of the five? I thought the Cactus Jack thing was good, and, and here's why I think the Cactus Jack thing was good, because I was actually there involved in that shoot, and if you recall, uh, if you go back and look at that, and, and the fans may want to take a look at it, Remember when he had his amnesia Yeah, and he looked at this kid and he didn't recognize this young kid to be his son. Was that Tony Schiavone's children? Yeah, it was my youngest son, Tim. How about that? Yeah. How about that? Uh, so I, I actually thought the cactus Jack thing was the best one of them all. Uh, but, and that's because we were kind of involved in that. The others were kind of all, you know, theatric shoots that were done away from us. Did you ever have a
0: conversation with Ole Anderson about these mini movies? What did he think about them? Uh, I don't think you care that much for him, to you, be honest with you. Do you remember anybody uh, being particularly vocal for them? No. Well, let's talk real quick about the actual video. Uh, here's Meltzer's account. Go ahead and buckle up. For those of you lucky enough to see the most flawed pay-per-view angle in history, it went something like this. The Heels, mad because Sting and Smith didn't show up for a pep rally, went to a mysterious island where Sting and Smith were doing charity work. It's bad enough when wrestling people and other celebrities use charity simply to promote themselves in a positive light as a reaction to negative publicity, but at least in those cases, they do donate time and or effort to charity. In this case, the quote-unquote charity work consisted of playing volleyball with some child actors. Parker assured the rest of the heels that he had a plan that would keep Sting and Smith from appearing at Beach Blast. Little did he know that the plan would only keep viewers from buying the show. It wound up with a dwarf wearing an eye patch, swimming with a shark fin, putting a bomb on a boat that Sting and Smith used to get to Gilligan's Island. I'm going to read that one more time. It wound up with a dwarf wearing an eye patch, swimming with a shark fin, putting a bomb on a boat that Sting and Smith used to get to Gilligan's Island. Uh, two very young girls saw the dwarf. The Hills took a boat ride to Gilligan's Island, and the only thing positive about that is that they didn't let Harley drive the boat. they After a confrontation where the heels demanded the faces retire and the kids acted like they were going to cry. If the faces would retire, one of the little kids told Sting about the funny man who was hanging around the boat. As Sting went to check, somehow one of the little girls told Smith about a ticking noise and Einstein himself started sprinting down the beach, which was a sight in itself and knocked Sting out of harm's way. Just seconds before the bomb
4: exploded and the boat blew up. Uh, Tony, who wrote this shit? Uh, that was as Turner Home Entertainment writing that stuff, man. That that's not the booking committee writing that. That is absolutely Turner Home Entertainment and their people, uh, and the the crew that they had doing all that stuff. So we wrestling fans know this is a turd. What did the Turner people think of these? Yeah, I I think the Turner people. Well, no, I don't. Th- I, the Turner people liked them because the Turner people didn't know any better. They weren't rest. That wasn't a wrestling company, Conrad. It wasn't. It was a. It was a. Uh, It wasn't a wrestling company running wrestling. That's why they lost. What was your reaction when you saw this the first time? Uh, Well, uh, when I saw this the first time, I went, ah, fuck it. Keep moving forward. That was my reaction the first time. Uh, My reaction when I watched it again was it probably was better than probably taking the jaws of life and trying to pull someone out of an ambulance. Uh, Oh, I love you for that. Not much. I love you for that. All right. Our friend Jim Cornette
0: had a few words for this segment. He wrote, Three of the wrestlers who uh, comprise the wrestling talent in that thing, I have the highest respect for their work and think they're fantastic, but anybody that would take part in this thing for any price or any contract is crazy. Anybody responsible for that fucking abomination should not only be shot, but forced to watch that abomination over and over until they puke up their toenails before being shot again and they wonder why they can't do any business. I think everyone involved should suffer the most horrible, painful death possible because of the money they're taking out of all the pockets of those who are trying to preserve this business that is rapidly going down the tubes. Uh, So spot on, yeah. Cornette was pretty fired up. Did you have any conversations with any of the boys about this movie or any of the guys who were in it? I know you were friendly with
4: Sting. I did not. I I ignored it. Okay. I really did. Uh, You've got to, you know... It goes back to this thing that I, I've talked about so far. When you when you're asked to do a job, uh, it's like when I'm doing baseball. If the team is playing badly uh, in the baseball games that I do with the Braves Triple A team, you got to stay positive and you got to look past that and you got to get you got to remove yourself from that and try to be positive and call the action. And all the bullshit that went on in Turner back at that time, and this was the transition, of course, between Bill Watson Eric Bischoff. The transitional period, you just had to ignore it and do your job because if you got caught up in it, Conrad, you didn't do your job correctly. You really didn't. Did you? Have I it? tried to. I tried to stay away from it, and I think it's the best thing to do.
0: Well, this was met with a lot of feedback, so there's lots of letters and phone calls and voicemails and faxes and lots of response from this mini movie. Do you remember this being the talk of the office? And, and that week after it aired, you know, kind of what was Bischoff's take on everything?
4: No. I, I think uh, because we were uh, – now, you need to uh, help me remember the actual timeline here. We're talking about July of 1993. Right. And Eric has just taken over the company, correct? When when did the actual – Well, at this I, point – I'm, I'm kind of yeah. lost when it actually – when when Watts left and Eric took over.
0: Well, do you remember any talk in the office about these movies and them going away? I ask because the very yes. next week, Meltzer would write in his July 5th edition of The Observer – Higher-ups in the company caused cancellation of any repeating of the Beach Blast mini-movie on TBS and also on Thursday canceled all future search for Cactus Jack features. So this had to be something that was talked about for them to say, hey, don't ever fucking show that again or do
4: anything like that ever again. So somebody pulls the plug here. Yeah. Well, that's – and that someone would have been higher up uh, than – Even Bischoff. uh, yeah a, a bill shaw call okay and and, and that's probably and that was not, probably not only based on creativity but based on the dollar amount that yeah. they paid for that
0: um but which makes total sense do you know right. was anyone relieved to see these things go away or, did, or was there was. was there a contingent of folks who thought man we should see it through yes it's silly and it's stupid but we're this
4: far into it we'll at least see it through do you remember no. that sentiment at all no, that I didn't I didn't hear that sentiment at all on my end. Uh, Everybody was glad they were gone. What, what did Cactus Jack think of his vignettes here? Obviously
0: he's written about it, but um, you know, from your perspective, how do you think that went for him and do you think it maybe potentially hurt his run in WCW?
4: I don't know, did it. It was it was an angle and it was a, it was an angle that we tried to because Cactus had a very different type character, right? Right. And a very odd character. It was an angle that we uh, that we tried to just do something different with. I don't know what he wrote about it. I didn't read his book. Uh, and I guess he has shit on it. But to think it ruined his run in WCW, I'm not going to go that far to say that.
0: I mean, In hindsight, you might even say it helped him work a little bit on his acting for his WWE run because he would do – lots of different silly characters and personas in the wwe and right you know he probably possessed that talent all along but this is the first time he kind of gets to practice it in front of a camera right um, right
4: right i agree with that
0: there's some controversy coming in the first week of july let's talk about that wcw held tv tapings at mgm studios in orlando And these would be the shows that we would see airing uh, through late August and mid-November. And this is really the first time that you guys did these sort of tapings. It's kind of one of the calling cards of Eric Bischoff and his uh, newfound charge of WCW. Um, At these tapings, Flair would be shown wearing the NWA world title. Ricky Steamboat is here wearing the television title. And the tag titles are worn by Arn Anderson and Paul Roma. I mention this because none of the guys had won these belts prior to wearing them at the tapings. Tony, in your opinion, in your old school, did this hurt the business?
4: It, I don't think it hurt the business. Uh, because I really don't think that the people who came in to watch the television tapings were wrestling fans. Were wrestling fans, exactly. But it hurt, it hurt us internally in that there was too much shit to keep up with. Okay, there you go. Now
0: that makes sense. You're saying when it's too much shit to keep up with, you mean in terms of when you're doing television and editing together packages and programs and all that for months to come, you've got to keep right. up with. Okay, at this point, would they have won the belt or not,
4: right? Exactly, right. And then when and then of course when Nitro came about and Thunder came about, it, it added even another dimension to it. Cuz stuff was changing because so rapidly. When they would change stuff would change on a Monday and we had a month of television tapings from Disney that we had in the can. Right. Now, uh, Uh, so so it it was, it was a, it was a, it on, on the paper and it was great. I'm I'm telling you the, the TV tapings at Disney, and we'll probably go into this on another episode. The TV tapings at Disney were great for camaraderie, uh, because we all went to Orlando. We loved it. We were treated very, very well by Disney. It had a good look. Uh, it was good. But storyline-wise, it was a disaster. So there was good and bad to that. I want to dig into that. I've got some notes here on that. But first, I
0: want to circle back to the hurting the business side. A lot of hardcore fans argue that this exposes the business, ruins the pay-per-view, etc. And some even blame, they go further than blaming WCW. And they say that this was the first time that Bischoff made a mockery of the business. But in my opinion, and I'm just a fan, this was 93. So this is before the internet is what it is today. This is before social media. This is before smartphones. And sure, people reading The Observer would know ahead of time what the results were were and who was going to be champ. But my argument is, shit, wouldn't they usually know anyway? Meltzer would say, hey, here's what's coming. Uh, So I don't think that this was necessarily bad business. I think this is a small group of smart fans who are just trying to create something to talk about. Because those
4: fans were going to know anyway from reading The Dirt Sheets, right, Tony? Well, exactly right. You've got people who are in who are into exposing the business complaining about exposing the business. I love you for that. What type of bullshit is that? Uh let's talk about what the type
0: tapings. of fucking bullshit is that? Uh, he's getting hot, folks. Uh right. well we've heard a lot about these tapings and I've always heard it as two different accounts, Tony, and let me kind of give you both sides of heard One side was kind of what you just echoed. It was awesome, the matches were easy, you weren't traveling, you were stationary, you You're at Disney World, so you can have a good time with your friends or your family if they wanted to come down. And then other guys would say these were super long and grueling days. Is this difference in perspective based on whether or not you were a wrestler as compared to a crew member? So you could kind of just float in and out versus you've got to be there all damn day?
4: Yeah. Yeah, it it was. Uh, And, of course, we we were into a new era there as well, Conrad. You know, I kind of snicker when you say wrestlers are complaining about long days. I just like to wonder that some of the wrestlers who complained about these being long days at Disney how they would have uh, reacted to working in the old mid-south territory back in the day. 3,000 miles a week. yeah <laughs> exactly. So uh, look, you're at Disney you're and not only you're at Disney, you're in an air-conditioned event. Uh, they had a guy who helped the fans, you know who warmed the fans up. Oh wait, yeah that's the talk fans about excited. That. I'm so glad
0: you mentioned that because Meltzer really took the reason we're covering this today, too, guys. Is this is the first time these tapings took place, and so you've probably seen clips of you know this set that they used, even if you're a younger fan, and you may have even seen where like Edge worked an enhancement match there. So there's lots of history in these tapings, but it was kind of revolutionary at the time. Meltzer had this to say about it in the Observer. From a production standpoint, these shows were said to have been near WWF quality, including the big screens in the background, a la WWF, and easy, rabid fans. The shows were held in a 628-seat building, packed for every taping with Disney World guests, with admission free to anyone who was at Disney World on the days of the taping. The crowd was composed of largely non-wrestling fans who were shown a videotape telling them who to cheer for and who to boo, and they had signals given to them when to cheer and when to boo during the tapings as well. Those at WCW who are apparently embarrassed at their own fan base largely wanted it this way since the tapings were never advertised to wrestling fans, figuring guests at an expensive amusement park are going to be cleaner, better dressed, and more upscale looking than wrestling fans, thus enabling television programmers to be more comfortable with the product. As mentioned last week, WCW didn't want wrestling fans at the show since it was never mentioned the tapings on its Orlando syndicated television shows, and there was no advertising either by WCW or Disney that tapings would be held at the park beforehand. So there's a lot to digest here, uh, but Mm. this feels like Dave Meltzer throwing a lot of shade, specifically at Eric Bischoff, saying that he is embarrassed by WCW's fans, and he takes little jabs in here about cleanliness and you know maybe their financial situation can you speak to this do you know if there were yeah. people in the front office who were
4: embarrassed by wcw's fans no uh, that that's a that is a uh, that is a complete bullshit line we did not promote it in orlando because we didn't have to disney brought in a lot of people so we didn't need to and embarrassed by the fans do you know how you know how people and and families look after they've walked through Disney World for two hours? Great call, great call. They look like wrestling fans. <laughs> yes, if if you, if you, I mean, they got flip flops, they got T shirts on, they got hats pulled down over their eyes, or sweating. That's bullshit. Yeah. That is absolute bullshit. We need to we need to get Meltzer on this show and throw darts at his stupid ass. Oh my gosh, I got two shows like this now.
0: All right, so okay. what's interesting here to me is that in the middle of all this. The NWA has their attorneys send WCW a letter saying that they have no right to change the title without permission from the NWA's board of directors. This, of course, is well past the NWA's prime, but they're still technically in control of the belt. So Sakaguchi, Steve Ricard, and Bill Watts were the board members at the time, and none of them have approved this switch. So the NWA even threatens to sue WCW if they switch the title that Sunday at Beach Blast or even advertise Flair as the NWA world champion after the fact. Tony, I got to say, this feels super silly to me. Uh, who the hell does the NWA think they are at this point? By 93, the only relevancy they have on a major stage, the only national television exposure they're getting at all is WCW. So why would they look a gift horse in the
4: mouth like this? They are looking for a handout. They are looking to win the lottery. They just to to... line their own pockets. That's all they are.
0: They wanted a payday.
4: Yeah, they, they didn't care about the integrity of the NWA title. They're looking for a payday. It's a classic move in wrestling throughout the years. Everybody's the, looking for money. So, in your opinion, this was
0: just a power play by the board for money. Nobody had an issue with flair or something else. It was just, no. hey, if you're going to do this, you got to pay us.
4: Yeah, okay. exactly. And and, and uh, you're right, and I guess Meltzer said that, the, the NWA is way past its prime. The NWA became Jim Crockett Promotions because Jim Crockett Promotions was the only promotion that took their promotion nationally in 1985 when we started putting it on TBS. We became the NWA, and Jimmy broke away from them. And if he wanted, if the NWA wanted to stay with Jimmy and be a national promotion against Vince McMahon, they had to fall in line with Jimmy Crockett. When it was bought by Turner Broadcasting, I guess Turner just assumed that, well, we own the NWA now. Uh, because it's all mythical bullshit anyway, isn't it? It is. It's
0: it's a shame to say, but it's not like there's an NWA headquarters somewhere. Right, exactly. Uh, The result of this silliness is that the big gold belt would no longer be referred to as the NWA world title and would instead be referred to as the international title or just the big gold belt. Uh, Hmm. What were the discussions like during this time when you guys were instructed what to call it or not call it?
4: Uh We were just told what to say. I I don't think we had any discussions about it. Uh, I mean, it's not like that uh, Eric or whomever was in the front office at that time would come to me and say, well, we want to call it this, but we think we're going to call it this. And I would say, what the fuck are you talking about? They just told me what to say, and I said it. Uh, There was no really discussion that I was a part of. Uh, But I know they wanted to move away from the NWA. They wanted to make WCW bigger than the NWA, and I guess that's what in in effect in effect we were into the midst of right there.
0: Meltzer would report that the Friday before Beach Blast, WCW interviewed Terry Funk about the possibility of being the Booker. Coming mm-hmm. out of the meeting, Dave says that the change the chances are less than fifty percent that Funk is actually going to land the spot, and he also reports that Jerry Jarrett was being considered for this this shot. Um, Whoever is coming in, according to Meltzer is going to have to work with Ole Anderson and Eric Bischoff and the hierarchy overall is going to stay the same, except now there's a new head booker of sorts. Did you ever hear this talk of a possibility of maybe Jared or funk coming
4: in and taking over? I heard about funk. I didn't hear about Jerry Jarrett. H- how do you think funk would have done? Uh, I thought, again, I think funk is one of the more talented guys ever in this business. I, I, it's hard for me to, to comment on that, Conrad, because, I mean, I talk to him and I work with him, but I never work with him in in a, in a, in a booking scenario. He, he may have been very good. Was there, Uh, was there a
0: name out there that you felt could turn business around if WCW could land him or her?
4: Uh, you know, I was always kind of a dusty guy, and I know dusty finishes, you know, um, shitty, uh, finishes angles, things like that. But you know, it's not like there's a guy out there who's been doing it for a long time. They, they tried to bring in, uh, one of the great bookers of all time right before I left in George Scott. And and that was a turd in the punch bowl. Uh, so uh, how many great bookers out there were there? Right. That's not- uh, to, to me, and this is based on, based on, My year in the WWE, I thought the guy who had the best mind for the business was Pat Patterson, but he wasn't going to go anywhere. Hypothetically,
0: had Pat Patterson come in, do you think it would have changed the course of WCW forever?
4: Forever? Yeah. Uh, It it would have helped us out right then. Forever? I don't know. Look, and and I'm, I'm hitting this point so many times that fans have to realize this. The course of WCW was set the day it was bought by Turner Broadcasting. That was not going to change. It was eventually going to be it was eventually going to crash and burn. It was just saved to a certain extent by Eric Bischoff, and then Eric got caught up in all the bureaucracy and all the bullshit that was turned to broadcasting and it went in a nosedive. The course was set back in nineteen eighty nine or nineteen ninety.
0: Let me ask you this. So
4: I'm not so sure even Pat Patterson would have pulled it out.
0: Did you realize that at at this point? I mean, were you optimistic about new leadership, or or, or were you already counting the days until this thing's closed up, even by this time in 93? I was counting the days from the first day I got back. Okay. Uh, Enough of the groundwork. Let's get to the pay-per-view. It's Beach Blast 1993. Was this your first time seeing it since you called it back in the day? Yeah, sure was. Uh, here's what the Observer readers thought about it. They gave it 41% thumbs up, uh, 44% thumbs down, and 13% thumbs in the middle. They thought the best match was the main event, and they thought the worst match was Max Payne and Johnny B. Badd. Uh, Meltzer would write this about the card in his July 26th issue of the Observer. Beach Blast came and went. That's about all the impression the show seems to have left. The card, which based on reaction here, seems to have garnered the least amount of interest in any major promotion pay-per-view to date. The gate was only $33,000, but even with freebies, that is the most people put in a building for WCW in quite a while. So he says it's the least interest that he got based on the feedback for any pay-per-view to date, and it only drew 33000 at the house. And that, to me, is a little shocking, because you've got uh, Sting, Vader, Sid, Bulldog, Austin, Pillman, Simmons, Rude, Regal, on and on. How frustrating is it, Tony, to be in the South where WCW is historically strong and you've got all this talent and you only draw
4: $33,000? It's frustrating, but isn't this, uh, again, isn't this a as much a result as trying to get away from And look. Uh, I really liked Bill Watts and Bill Watts and I got to be very good friends and I really respected him. He taught me a lot about the business. He really did. But isn't this the, the moment where we're trying to move away from that? Yeah. From the Bill Watts era? Yeah. In a transition era? So not that I'm making excuses for 33000 but I, I think that's what you're seeing right here. Um, and um, and as, as we know, now as history shows us as we moved on to the next year and Hulk Hogan arrives and and the NWO and all that uh, business, if I can use this term, really picked up.
0: I know a lot of um, a lot of fans who listen to our show sometimes don't understand why I care about the money. I, I point this out because this gate of $33,000 doesn't come close to covering the overhead for this show. It's not even right. close. I mean, forget the pay-per-view aspect. Just renting the building, paying all the talent, the security, uh, all that stuff. And then you've got to talk about satellite time. Uh, it, it's it's
4: this is a massive loss for WCW sure. here. You know what? It wouldn't surprise me because Kip Fry was the one that negotiated Jesse's contract. Right. It wouldn't surprise me that Jesse made more than thirty three thousand dollars that night. Uh, I I don't have anything to. That's just trying to be funny. I don't have anything to base that on. So don't anybody you know say no, that. No, well, no. says. Jesse got $30,000 plus, please. but it wouldn't surprise
0: me. Right? Please please post that on Reddit. We need to see a thread about that on Squared Circle. No, we uh, do not. Dave had, at this point, been covering the steroid policies in wrestling, giving McMahon's recent troubles, and WCW had, in fact, implemented a program themselves. But Dave wrote about that in this issue of The Observer. He He said, quote, The steroid policy is in place and it's working, The only thing is it shows that you have emphasized what the real policy is as opposed to the written policy that is if you aren't on steroids you aren't allowed anywhere near the top of pay-per-view cards now before you react because you're making a face there you've got to remember this sounds a little fair from a wrestling fan standpoint because you've got sid and bulldog in the main event looking like they look uh if if there's really a serious steroid testing policy here A lot of fans are going to scratch their head about Sid and Bulldog in the main event. Right.
4: What do you remember about steroids in WCW during this time? Uh, I remember nothing about them. Nothing. I remember nothing about steroids. I remember looking at those guys and saying, wow, they got to be on something. But I never remember testing. I never remember seeing testing. You know, uh, uh, I see testing all the time now. But I never remember that in WCW. Um, all right, so I don't remember anything about
0: it. Let's talk about the uh, the pay per view. The opening graphic uh, cracks me up. How fucking Saved by the Bell nineteen eighties is this on the pay per view? Who's responsible for the way the uh, the opening sequence here looks? Uh, the
4: uh, we're in. Bilox- these these pay per views were their babies, right? They were their babies. Yeah. From the movies to the graphics, everything. Uh, we're in Biloxi for this show. How was Biloxi as a WCW town? Any memories there in Biloxi? No, they was okay. Uh, you know, we went to the uh, casinos, and we had a pretty good time. I never thought Mississippi was a, was a strong WCW territory like uh, a Florida or a Georgia or the Carolinas or things like that. I thought the more you moved west, the less effective we were.
0: Well, is that is that really a statement about the product or is this a statement about the socioeconomic status of Mississippi? You know, Mississippi mm. at the time was one of the poorest states in in America and right. you know, tickets are a luxury to a wrestling event if you're yeah. trying to put food on the table. And I say that as somebody who was near the bottom of that card, or, you know, that list as well with Alabama, but historically, uh Mississippi is near the bottom of the list for
4: disposable income. Valid point, absolute uh, valid point
0: We start off with Eric Bischoff wearing a ridiculous Hawaiian shirt Do you remember whose idea that was you guys were sitting around and decided, hey, let's dress up like idiots
4: No, we all we all decided let's make it very beachy And no one really looked at our garb and said, that's good, that's not good, that's bad Just do what you want to do It's kind of what we did uh, How roll tide was Missy Hyatt here? She fit into that, uh, suit quite nicely. Didn't she?
0: Man, if you haven't seen this, go check it out. Missy Hyatt yeah. 93 yeah. is something to behold. Uh, yeah. now, well, then we throw to you, of course, your ringside, uh, Tony, what the fuck were you wearing?
4: You know, Conrad, I was, uh, I was wearing orange shorts. I was wearing an orange, green, and white Hawaiian type shirt, which by the way, I still have, I can't believe it's in my closet. And I'm thinking, how old is this shirt? And now I realize how old it is when I see it. And I put uh, orange zinc oxide on my nose, which I thought made everything color coordinated. And, of course, that became a point with Jesse Ventura through the entire show, my nose. Arne Anderson would say, you got a big enough nose anyway. It looks like Bob Hope's nose. Why would you color it up and let it stand out like day glow orange? That's what he would say and what he said to me. So, but it was zinc oxide. And of course, I don't know how many times you've been on the beach. Maybe a lot since you're from Alabama going down to orange beach down on the uh, coast there. uh, there There's a lot of zinc oxide on noses back then. Did Tom zinc Mm -hmm. paint your face for that? No, no, Tom did not. I would have, I wouldn't, I would have let him, but he did
0: not. I tell you what, I was hoping you would say that your wife picked that out the outfit, because you can actually pick up a shirt right now that says my wife picked this out and you can do it over at prowrestlingtees.com forward slash WHW. If you haven't already cruise over just to see this shirt, I'm telling you it's worth the price of admission, which is free by the way, it's prowrestlingtees.com forward slash WHW. My wife picked this out. Going to be one of the best sellers. Of course, still the top seller over there, I believe is damn I am good and in that vein, we've got a brand new Ole Anderson inspired shirt, Evil, Mean, and Nasty.
4: Uh, Tony, what's your favorite part of people buying these t shirts? Well, my favorite part of people buying these t shirts, Conrad, is what I do after you buy a t shirt.
0: Uh, you celebrate, you dance, you count your pennies, and you realize, oh, I'm one shirt closer to the wedding?
4: No, I, I, I send them, uh, text them uh, naked pictures of Lois. Oh wow, that's gonna that's gonna really boost T-shirt sales. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) I call them. I give them a phone call and talk with them. And we had a sale in uh, right after the Fourth of July, and boy, we and thank you everybody who uh, who bought shirts. We sold a lot of shirts, so I'm a little bit behind. A little bit behind uh, calling people Uh, for some reason. Verizon Wireless will not let me call internationally, so I'm behind on. On calling, we've had uh, we we've sold shirts in the Netherlands. Wow, We've sold shirts in Germany, a lot in Great Britain, in Australia, and I haven't called those people yet. I will call as soon as Verizon helps me out with calling internationally. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you a phone call, and I'll spend some time with you and talk to you and get to know you. And uh, thank you very much about uh, getting the shirt and listening to the podcast. And, and, Conrad, you would be maybe not so surprised to find out there are a lot of people out there that appreciate you and what you have done when I call them on the phone. And to them, I say, well, you don't know the motherfucker like I do, or you wouldn't talk like that. Uh, but uh, you are the driving force behind this, and we all appreciate it. So go on to rest. And, you know, the uh, my wife uh, my wife, dressed me, uh, has my uh, picture, uh, my face in uh, on the shirt. Which is a stupid ass looking face. I love it. I think it's phenomenal. The O, and my wife picked this
0: out. The O, and out. My wife picked out. It's Tony's face, and he has yeah. the, the goofiest shit eating grin you've ever seen. You don't have to be a wrestling fan. Uh, if you dress yeah. like a wrestling fan, you are going to love this shirt. Uh, I have yeah. it. I support it. You'll love it too.
4: Also, uh, there's another shirt that is starting to pick up steam in sales Klondike Bills Glass Bottom Boat Rides. It's got to be maybe the
0: most underrated shirt on there because not Probably everybody so. knows what it is, but you know what it is. And I want to mm-hmm. know what it was when Jesse Ventura was on the beach set here with a bunch of ladies. Who were these
4: ladies, Tony? Did you vet them? No, I did not vet them, but I would have had they asked. And I would have had Missy Hyatt asked for me to help her pick out her uh, garb for that. What I remember about this and about this opening scene more than anything else. And obviously you'd think, well, Shivani's freaking creepy and he's going to think about the ladies. Oh, I
0: know what you're going to say in the middle of Jesse's skit, the damn lights turn off. Fucking a, what the hell? (laughs) Only in WCW, right? (laughs) I mean, you've been doing these silly skits with Jesse to start the pay-per-view and it's a bad (laughs) idea anyway, but now right in the middle of him talking, the damn lights (laughs) turn off
4: on (laughs) pay-per-view. That is WCW. And not only that, the graphics are wrong for the first match. Um,
0: whose idea was it to start the pay-per-views with Jesse in this manner? Jesse was, was probably, and I think a lot of people lose sight of this in hindsight, but he's one of the biggest stars in the business when you guys get him. So is the thought, hey, let's make sure that we're putting him in a featured spot on every piece of pay-per-view that we do?
4: Yeah, I think so. And, and I think as, as fans realize that Jesse kind of fell out of favor with Eric, and so Eric wanted to use him as much as he could. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they just wanted to try to use him and, well, and try to, he fell
0: out of favor with him because he was sleeping on
4: the job and was difficult to uh, work with. That's yeah, the rumor. I, I you don't, I don't buy there. that. You don't I know. That's what Eric says. Okay. But I, 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 Jesse was a pro we'll circle back. Jesse, how, 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 all right. How would you describe Jesse's
0: hair at this point of his career?
4: Uh, what was left of it
0: was tucked in the back. I don't know why, but him being completely clean shaven, bald, but then with the rat tail in the back tickles (laughs) me, that is a pro wrestling look. If I ever saw
4: one. Yeah, I agree.
0: (laughs) Uh, who handled the Uh, set design for these shows? Is that also Turner home entertainment or is that something that uh, Crockett would have handled?
4: Nah, well, that's something that David Crockett would have based on what Turner home entertainment wanted. That's something that David would have done, and they gave him uh, free reign to do that. Uh, I, I thought the the sets looked pretty good, with the exception of the girls hanging out when the guys were walking by him. That was pretty fucking stupid. Uh, I thought it was hilarious, and we never picked up on this, how when Steve Regal walked out, how he looked around in disdain, especially at that, uh, at that shark, blown-up shark that was over there on the left. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah I, he kind of... Uh, Uh, the reaction uh, that Steve Regal had when he walked out for his match uh, against Eric Watts was kind of the reaction that we all had when we saw the set for the first time. But, you know, if you're going to complain about the set, there's a lot more to complain about than that shit.
0: Eventually, Jesse makes his way down to ringside, and he starts to rib you about what you're wearing and really giving you the business about the zinc oxide. He's not buying it. And he says, you've never been in the sun, and, quote, Your body looks like a guy with makeup all over it. When I heard this this week, I thought this has to be a rib because Jesse knows that Tony spends all day with the girls in the makeup chair.
4: Yeah. (laughs) No. He knew that I spent a lot. Now, look, this was prior to the Nitro Girls, right? Uh, And so we really – and Medusa wasn't there that I recall at the time, uh, Deborah wasn't around, so I didn't spend as much time in the makeup chair as I did, but it's been well known that I don't go out in the sun, uh, because, you know, I'm getting up in age and had I been going out of the sun, I would look 30 years older than I look right now. I really believe that the older you look is, is based on the time you spend in the sun. My friends who been living at the beach and are my age look 30 years older than me. So I never did go out in the sun that much. So that was, and that's probably too much shit that you need to know for this podcast. In the first match on the card, we've got Mr.
0: Wonderful retaining his WCW television title by DQ. When Ron Simmons backflips him over the top rope after about 11 minutes. Uh, this is of course the silly time in WCW where throwing someone over the top rope is an automatic disqualification after the DQ Ron would climb back in and then get on the top rope and give Paul a shoulder block finisher but, of course, the match is over, so the ref doesn't count. Meltzer gives the match a
4: star in three quarters. What did you think of this match, Tony? I didn't like it at all, and the reason I didn't like it at all is it started out very slowly. It it, it seemed to be the common theme for a lot of the matches, uh, and, and it was reinforced when I watched it recently. Uh, a lot of the matches, there was a lot of bullshit and talk and walking around before the matches even started. Uh so, I didn't like the way it started, and I didn't like this match at all. Is that? And it's, it, I, I always did like Ron, and I always thought, I mean, we all know how great a worker Paul Orndorff has been. Sure. You and I talked about a, a match where he had against Ricky Steamboat, how great that mud, match was. But this one, not so much.
0: Do you think this is um, an examination of the difference a good agent makes in professional wrestling? Because it feels like you're complaining about some of these matches and the way they're starting and that they can sometimes be a slow start and the guys just kind of work in the crowd, which which works really, really well at a house show. That's worth mentioning. At a house show, that would be received like crazy. I mean, people would put that over so hard. But on pay-per-view, maybe not so much. Is this, you know, evidence that WCW didn't have the right agents in place at the time, in your opinion?
4: Well, agents could have been a part of it, but also agents can just go so far as to what they do. Uh, I, I'm not going to put all the blame on the agents for this. No, of course. But uh, another thing could have been, and from what I remember, and I'm, I'm not going to give you every agent's name that I remember, we didn't have that many agents back then. Right. So if you have so few agents, what happens is the agent does not have enough time to spend with each and every match as it should. They
0: just make sure they've got the finish and the number of minutes, but as far as the actual laying out of the story, maybe not so much. And and it's curious that this is a miss to me. I really think we kind of sleep on this era of WCW, but your curtain jerker match here is Ron
4: Simmons and Paul Orndorff. These are two hall of famers all day long, right, Tony? Right. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't that long ago that Ron Simmons was the world heavyweight champion.
0: Yeah. Let, let's talk about uh, Orndorff before we get to Simmons. I think it's pretty well known that he was suffering some pretty serious, uh, after effects, I guess, with his arm after an injury from the mid eighties where he never got it fixed. Uh, and he's kind of been on record as saying, you know, he didn't want to do it right then because business was so hot and he was on top with Hogan and he would have lost his spot and it cost him a bunch of cash. What's the common thinking with those in the business at this point about Paul never getting his arm fixed? Because it's pretty visible by this point.
4: Yeah, I, I think we all knew that. I, I don't think there was a common thought uh, of people saying, well, he should have gotten it fixed or he shouldn't have or whatever. We all just, uh, respected Orndorff and appreciated him. Uh, and, uh, you know, yeah, it was pretty apparent that his left arm, I guess it was, uh, had, uh was not looking like the right arm, but I don't know how much it really, well, he wasn't the Paul Orndorff for the old. I understand that.
0: It, it's, it's a but, cautionary tale about wrestling. It's another, it's another, uh, peek behind the curtain as to the weird dynamic that exists in professional wrestling, where you've got a guy who's so universally well-respected and is so talented, but he's so nervous about his spot and the, and insecure about his spot. That he might put off something that could lead to a greater quality of life for himself. And that was,
4: look, I don't mean to interrupt you. That was the fault of old time promoters. Yeah. Because back then, if you didn't work, you were going to lose your spot. Sure. They would find somebody else. You had to work through injuries. It's
0: just amazing to me that, you know, the difference in time, because of course, back in the day, when you got a concussion. Uh, you know, which we know now to be a very serious injury, people just called it, oh, he got his bell rung. And he right. just kept going. And, and so it's just weird how that's kind of evolved. You know, th- this is the same era where Ronnie Lott is like, oh, I can't miss a game. Just cut my pinky off. Right. I mean, that would never happen now. And it's just, it's no. so, it's so interesting to look back at. Another thing I found interesting here is that Paul wore his belt around the outside of his robe. Not a lot of <laughs> folks did that in wrestling here, but it, I have seen it before. It feels kind of like how some guys like to tuck their blue jeans in their cowboy boots and other guys wear their jeans over their boots. In your opinion, where should the belt be worn
4: inside or outside the robe? Uh, I always thought it should be worn around the waist. Uh, I never like guys to wear it over the shoulder when they walked in. Uh, but Paul Orndorff, Paul Orndorff had a, I had a robe on. And, and Flair always had the robe on, too, and he would reveal the belt underneath of it. I, I didn't like on the outside of the robe at all. I uh, just thought it it made it look freaking goofy.
0: It does. It's like wearing your underwear on the outside, which you do right. routinely. Which, which I have done. Sure, this weekend. Uh, so let's yeah. switch to Ron Simmons for a minute. Uh, what do you think of his shoulder block finisher? I, I think uh, we've talked a little bit about Ron Simmons in the past, but we haven't really talked about the shoulder block as a finisher uh, I can only think of two guys who did it like this and it's the ultimate warrior and Ron Simmons. what did you think yeah. of Ron using this as a finish?
4: Uh, it was okay because no one else did it. See, I always was, I always thought that if you use a move that everyone uses as a high spot for your finish, that it makes your finishing move seem kind of shitty. I agree. But, no doubt. But I didn't have a problem with it. I don't, he didn't do, I didn't think he did a good job with it in this match. Um, what the fuck is up with ron
0: simmons theme music here did you pay any attention to that no i didn't well uh we've got a treat for you at the end of today's show stay tuned and i'm gonna have uh matt coon who's a producer here on the show go ahead and cue that up for us uh you have got to hear this ron simmons theme music all right next up we've got two cold scorpio and marcus bagwell and they beat tex slezinger and shanghai pierce uh, it goes about 13 minutes, and Scorpio gets the pin on Pierce after a Scorpio splash. Meltzer wrote, quote, This match was a lot better than it looked on paper with Pierce and Bagwell both looking impressive. Meltzer gave it two and three-quarter stars. What did you think of this one, Tony?
4: Yeah, you know, I, I, I thought that Marcus and Too Cold were a pretty darn good tag team. Too Cold did some great stuff. Uh, I actually liked, if you go back and look at the match... I like that one big splash he had off the top rope before he did his yeah. somersault for the finish. The one big splash was tremendous. He it was almost Jimmy Snuka like, where he would go way up in the air and turn and, and hit down. I like them as a tag team. Marcus was a a, a young, good looking man, and he and Two Cold Scorpio did some things. And Tex Slasinger and Shanghai Pierce uh, were two of my favorites. Uh, Mark Canterbury is a great kid. Uh, and of course, he and Tex, you know, they had a little, pretty good little run as the Godwins, right, in the WWE. Yeah, I wanted to ask oh. you about that. Why do you think. Um,
0: oh, Here's what Meltzer said about them. There are a lot of people who aren't going to like a match like this on pay per view because Slasinger and Pierce are a job team with no credibility based on their television role. But as you were just mentioning, they had a pretty decent run for themselves with the WWF as the Godwins. Right. What do you think Vince McMahon saw in those guys that WCW didn't?
4: Well, I, I think Vince, you know, liked uh, liked to make fun of the South uh, and liked to make fun of uh, Arkansas pig farmers, right? Right. Uh, and I think he just used that to his advantage in making fun of the South. It's kind of like those New Yorkers looking down their nose at us, Conrad. Those of us who live in Georgia and Alabama and Arkansas and Louisiana. And Mississippi and the Carolinas, and maybe part of Florida around Pensacola. Uh, looking down at the redneck part of the of the world, uh, it, it it goes back to me of what Vince was able to do with uh, stunning Steve Austin, right? And uh, what Vince was able uh, to do with Mark Callis, Mean Mark Callis. Uh, he was able to he was able to take a character and make it work. Dutch Mantell told me this years ago and Dutch is right. Dutch is a pretty good guy in the business. He always had a good mind for the business. Dutch said the more effort and time you put into something, the more you're going to get out of it as far as a character is concerned. And that's what Vince would do. He would put a little bit more time and effort into it because Vince knew how to staff people. He needed to have had enough agents, how to have enough production people. And you see, Back then, while we were spending eighty thousand dollars on a bullshit movie, he was taking eighty thousand dollars. And now you said, "Why not take eighty thousand dollars and bring in Chris Benoit?" But he would take eighty thousand dollars and expand his office staff and expand his uh, his agents to have enough people on hand to where they could make their television show work.
0: Let's
4: I know see. I'm right. I know I'm right about
0: this. No, no doubt about it. I know I am. Yeah. Let's circle up and talk about, uh, Bagwell here at this point, he's WCW's rookie of the year. He looks like a million bucks. Uh, he's getting a good reaction from the crowd. It feels like at this point he's on track to be a major player for WCW already. Does it not? No question. Do you think that buff reached his full potential in WCW and and if not, why?
4: Uh, I kind of like, I, I like the buff character that was a two-timing snake in the grass, son of a gun. Sure. Uh, I, I thought I liked that character. I, I thought that character was really good for buff. I thought it was better than the good looking baby face kid that he played.
0: Oh, for sure. Uh, the white meat baby so, face was played out by then.
4: Yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, I, I, I think buff, I think buff, uh, played out quite well. In his time at WCW.
0: Let's talk about the silly dance that he and Scorpio do together. You called it the beach shuffle here on the pay-per-view. How corny does that look in 2017? At the time, it, it was cool, but right. I, mean, I guess. Yeah, well, again, it, it looks
4: corny cool. in 2017. Back then, the fans kind of really got into it.
0: Yeah, that's what's amazing is I'm, I'm laughing, and the crowd, half of
4: them are really into it. It not make any sense yeah. to me. It, it's, hard to, it's hard to judge what happened in 1993 when you look at it in 2017. Do you think
0: WCW dropped the ball with too cold Scorpio? I ask because he's a big dude and he's doing all this aerial stuff. Why don't you think he did more in WCW?
4: I I can't answer that uh, with the exception of I know he had an admitted drug problem.
0: Yeah, so let's touch on that because Scorpio has at different times accused other folks in WCW, including Ric Flair, of being racist. And he cites that as the reason he wasn't pushed. And others inside the office would say that Scorpio wasn't reliable and couldn't pass a drug
4: test. If you had to pick one, which one of those makes more sense to you? Well, uh, the second makes more sense to me that he wasn't reliable, that people would think he was unreliable and couldn't pass a drug test. But because with the exception of, and this is pre Harlem heat now, with the exception of Ron Simmons, uh, a lot of black uh, wrestlers did not get the push they thought they uh, they deserved. I could see where a lot of the black wrestlers thought racism was involved in it. Well, now come on. You mentioned Harlem
0: Heat, but they debut Harlem Heat with a plantation owner, and they put him in chains. So this isn't... Exactly. You can't say that there's no hint of racism at all in WCW, but maybe specifically the trouble with Scorpio was he loved marijuana.
4: Could be. And sometimes that marriage you wanted takes control of your life. I'm told. Well, I'll tell you what did, uh, not take control of anybody's
0: life. And that's the equalizer. He makes his debut next. We've got Missy Hyatt interviewing Paul Orndorff who introduces the world to his good friend, the equalizer Meltzer would write, what a debut for equalizer. He stood there and said nothing and nothing was done to call attention to him.
4: Uh, what do you think of this as a debut for a new character? This felt like a fart in church, Tony. It was terrible. It, it, it was terrible. One thing that I always hated as a producer and, and a guy who, who tried to at times work with wrestlers on their interviews was I hated wrestlers to stand there and rub their hands together. Oh yeah, rub their hands together. It's like you know, do something else. Yeah, it was terrible. It was it, it was not only it was not only terrible. Missy was trying to get out of it <laughs> as quickly as she could. Uh, Thanks, Paul. We got to go. Type thing at the end of it. So yeah, it was it was. You know, in in hindsight, they probably did as well as they could with the equalizer character and making him Dave Sullivan, right? Because he wasn't going to get over as a badass. Um, Our third match on the card would see Lord Stephen Regal
0: pin Eric Watts after about seven and a half minutes when Sir William would distract Watts long enough for Regal to roll him up. Dave gave it two stars. Uh, Meltzer wrote, this match was a lot better than it looked on paper. Regal impressed me for the first time with his technical ability – Although the type of moves he was doing are the type that fans in this country haven't seen in years and don't react to that point was even made on television by Tony Schiavone, uh, who in the office, Tony was, was high on Regal at this point, because it feels like he's really starting a push here.
4: Well, I was one. And, and again, I want to, I want to preface my comments again. Steve Regal is one of my favorites of all time. So I just loved everything he did. So it's, it's hard for me to be, uh, be objective about Steve. I,
0: you guys at I'm this point were biased. already big buddies, like you are now. What's that? You were already big buddies with him at this point, like you are now.
4: We 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 started our friendship okay back then. Yeah, from the from the get go. Uh, Regal did some. Regal had he could wrestle, he could talk. Uh, his facial reactions were great. The pirouettes that he did were tremendous. I I just liked everything he did, and of course the WWE now seeing that what he can do, they obviously use him. Uh, as a very important part of NXT, uh, so I I love Stephen Regal, and uh, again, fans do not have to react to every move with a loud applause of cheer or a loud reaction. You don't have to. Uh, sometimes it's just good to get them to react to the finish of the match. So. Uh, not so sure I know where I'm going with this, but I just love Steve Regal. Was this the best match that
0: we saw from Eric Watts in WCW?
4: I think so, and, and I think uh, – and that's a that's a very uh, – and, and that's a credit to Steve Regal. Oh, of course. Yeah, uh, but also, you know, Eric uh, – I felt sorry for Eric because he was – you know, no kid – we talked about this before. No kid in his position was going to turn down a push. Yeah, and,
0: let, let's talk about that. It feels like we haven't mentioned it a great deal, but he's a pretty controversial figure in wrestling, and it's solely based on his father. Do you right. think that Eric's career was doomed from the start just because of who his dad is and, and
4: what his dad had done in the business? I don't think there's any question. Uh, Eric, uh, I, I I hate to hear that Eric is a controversial figure because Eric in real life is a, is a great human being. Really, is a good kid, uh, and I hate to hear that. But again, that's because of him getting the push from his father. But it goes back to this. I mean, we all want to see our kids do well. Uh, My son, Chris, who you have met, is on our UGA broadcast team. Uh, I put him on there uh, because I wanted to help out my son. But as a father, I understand this. If you have your son working for you, with you, it's a good working relationship, believe it or not. And. It's one that you can cultivate and probably make him better. So I'm sure that Bill Watts wanted to make Eric a better wrestler, and he thought by giving Eric a push, it would make him a better wrestler when he got to work with some good guys. Uh, So Eric was in a tough position. Uh, I know a lot of fans poo-pooed at him, shit on him, if you will, but that's the wrong thing to do because Eric really tried hard. Uh, you made an effort
0: to look out for Watts in the match. You said something like win or lose. Eric Watts is making a great showing."
4: Did you feel bad for Eric even then? Uh, yeah, I felt bad for Eric, but that comment was not based on me feeling bad for Eric. That comment was based on me trying to put everybody over that was out there. Um, what did you
0: think of Eric bringing the two little American flags out to the ring with him to give away to the fans? It, it, It felt like it was independent wrestling from Boaz, Alabama.
4: Yeah, it was. It was kind of hokey. And it, he didn't really even give us time to even show it on the air. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, Go as Alabama.
0: After the match, uh, Jesse Ventura interviews Steve Regal. And uh, Regal says he didn't even break a sweat beating Eric Watts. And of course, he's right. drenched in sweat as he says that. Right. How great is Steve Regal here? I know he's your boy, but I found that to be hilarious because when he yeah. says. I didn't even break a sweat. I did a double take just to make sure, like he is pouring
4: sweat, right?
0: Okay, exactly. Cool, got right. it. I loved it. But that,
4: I do too. That's the, that's the old heel thing, you know. The Flair used to always say. He said, "You just fucking lie to the people." Flair used to say, "Lie to them, even when they know you're lying," and it makes you even more of a of a lying uh, piece of shit heel. Which that's what he was doing. And also, he quoted Winston Churchill, which he he's always quoted to me before. You know, he needs a big a uh, big hist, uh, history buff on, on Winston Churchill. so And then when he got into that Winston Churchill talk, uh, he really he really uh, got fired up. So, uh, great interview.
0: Uh, we, we haven't talked about it much, but what did you think of Bill Dundee as Sir William? How do you think
4: he did? Uh, I thought he played the part as well as he could. Uh, you know, Bill Dundee's a, a longtime uh, star in wrestling. Uh, and, you know, I think... Most of us realize, I don't know if people realize that, uh, that Bobby Eaton married into his family and, uh, Billy was a good guy. Billy was, uh, Billy always had some pretty good ideas. I thought, and, uh, I thought he played the part well, because, you know, Billy was kind of a small guy, uh, a sawed off little run, if you will. Uh, and <laughs> that made you look up, didn't it? Uh, well, well, yeah, off
0: th- look. There's, there's two schools of thought on Bill Dundee. I've heard some people okay. who think he's a creative genius and was uh-huh. responsible for helping set a territory on fire, and others say, no, everything he did was a hot shot, and he's a deviant. You're somewhere in no. the middle? Yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle. He probably did both.
4: He probably <laughs> helped set a, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I I've, mean, if, if there's two schools of thought on somebody like Bill Dundee, probably both sides are right at, at one time.
0: Uh, The fourth match on the card sees Johnny B. Bad pin Max Payne in about five minutes. Uh, The finish comes off kind of weird because Bad climbs to the top rope and then down to the middle rope to do the finisher. Uh, Meltzer gave it one star. And the backstory of the match is really what we're going to be discussing today. At the Clash of the Champions, you saw Max Payne shoot his cannon into Johnny B. Bad's face. Mm. So Johnny B. Bad was wearing a mask here for the match. Tony, what do you think of Bad's look here? Uh, I thought it was kind of a creepy look. It was really, really weird. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's saying something when the little Richard Johnny B. Bad gimmick can even somehow feel a little weirder. It, it right, man, it managed to here.
4: Yeah, I, I agree. It, it felt like it felt like something that you would see at. And I don't know this for. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, go where ahead. Fuck am I going here? Uh, <laughs> what the hell's here, wrong with here me? Here we go. It feels like something that you would see at a deviant male strip club in Boaz, Alabama. We don't have those in Boaz, Alabama. Okay. I just, all right. So, <laughs> I just threw out Boaz because you threw it out, but, uh, all right. A deviant male strip club in downtown yours. Atlanta. There you go. Uh, okay. Well, what do you think of this angle overall?
0: Um, you know, put guys shooting other guys in the face with their cannon.
4: Uh, <laughs> what do you? What are you trying to set up here? No, it just feels kind of old school
0: that, you know, you would build an angle like this. And I know this was 23, 24 years ago now, but it's still, uh, I don't know. The whole premise of this being the reason that these guys are feuding is one guy, you know, blues load in the other guy's face is weird.
4: Well, you can look at it like that, but you can also look at it. The fact that Johnny B bad always shot his cannon off. And I know the. Well, we've, we talked about this before, and that was very important to him and for him, get it to be shot in his face at, where, where the hell am I going with this?
0: Did Mario uh, Mar- I- Mar- have a problem with, with being shot in the face? Did I have a problem with you being shot in the face? No. Was, was Marrow cool with, uh, Max yeah. Payne unloading on his face? Yeah, I think
4: so. Okay. I think so. Well, you know, I thought we had something trying to quickly change, uh, the direction of this talk. I thought, I always thought we had something in Max Payne that we didn't uh, yeah. really. It hadn't know. been done before,
0: right? I mean, here's a giant of a man playing guitar, right. electric guitar on the way to the ring. And by the way, right. this would be Matt Coon's gimmick if he were a wrestler. He is basically yeah. Max Payne. Um, but but this this hadn't been done before. And I thought, you know, it's a little cheesy. But when Van Hammer came out, he did fucking nothing. And at least this guy knew how to play the guitar. Right, Um, And I don't know what it is about if you're a guy with a guitar, you have to feud with Johnny B. Bad, But that was a thing, I guess. Why don't you think they did more with him? And and a reason I ask is it's crazy to think about all the guys we've covered so far on this card who would wind up in the WWF and what their gimmicks would become. You had Farouk Asad, Max Payne, uh, you know, the Man Mountain Rock. Wildman Mark Miro, the Godwins, Flash Funk, Real Man's Man, Techno Team two thousand. And then coming up later on the card, we're gonna talk about who would become Stone Cold and the Stalker and Gold Dust. It's a crazy time to be a wrestling fan, but it's a reminder that one man's trash is another man's treasure of sorts.
4: But <laughs> that's very well put. I Max Payne, to me, his look and the fact he's going out playing the guitar was was with something different? with something tremendous? You know, Max Payne, and I. I don't want to, I don't want to offend anybody by saying this, but Max Payne and that look and that goth type look that he had reminded me of a lot of people that I've seen in all of these uh, these comic cons and all these game uh, cons that you go see. He looked like those people. He was one of them, and uh, we never did uh, pick up on that, or, or never did uh, run with it a little bit more.
0: And it seemed like, you know, he was decent enough uh, as a wrestler for, you know, yeah. what was asked of him here. I'm not saying that he was, you know, Ricky steamboat or anything, but he, he's just as green as Mark Merrow, but Mark Merrow has a physique. Uh, so I guess he gets the bigger push. The, the next match is a long one and we see Brian Pillman and Steve Austin retain the NWA and WCW tag titles beating Arn Anderson and Paul Roma. They go yeah. long 26 minutes and 14 seconds. Man, in Meltzer's opinion, it was the best match on the card. He gave it three and
4: three-quarter stars. What would you think of this match, Tony? It felt a little long to me. It was long. Let me tell you what I thought of the match, and when I watched it again, it hit me the same way it hit me when I was calling the match. Go back and look at this match, everybody. Watch Paul Roma walk into the ring, and watch Paul Roma's reaction when he walks in the ring with Arn Anderson. It was apparent from the when they walked in the ring, that Paul Roma was going to do the job and he was upset about it. So to me that, and I, I thought he performed quite well, but I thought he really tipped it off just by the way he reacted.
0: Well, we're going to talk about boo-boo face here in a minute. Meltzer had this to say about <laughs> Paul Roma. Uh, quote, Roma isn't a bad wrestler, but he was out of his league here as he lacks facial fire and expressiveness of a main eventer. The crowd here didn't seem to accept him in his spot either as the crowd reactions were markedly different when he was in the ring as opposed to when Anderson was. If they were booking and under that realization, unless they were going to give up on Roma, which obviously from pre-taped television is hardly the idea, Anderson should have done the job. What do you think of uh, Paul Roma and his role here? We've talked about him you know, in this particular match, but as a tag partner for Arn, do you? Cause this game, this match is a little bit like which one of these is not like the other. You've got Brian Pillman, Stone Cold Steve mm-hmm. Austin. Of course, he's not Stone Cold yet. Arn Anderson right. and Paul Roma, three of the all-time greats, and Paul Roma. So I don't know that it's necessarily that Roma is a bad wrestler so much as
4: Roma's in a bad spot here. Yes, he is. It didn't feel like Horseman, right? We talked Horseman. We said Horseman but it didn't feel like horsemen. It, it really didn't. They even had these knockoff horseman shirts or whatever they had on. We oh, talked about that yes. during the match.
0: I love it. I, I, if you haven't watched this, go out of your way to see this. Just so you can see these t-shirts that he just referenced. Roman are wearing airbrushed t-shirts, like the crap you get from a redneck beach, like Panama city. And it has an airbrushed horse on it. And uh, st- Tony starts putting it over. He says, look at the new designs they have. I don't know why, but that tickled me. And it made me want to ask this question here. So I'll ask with everybody listening, can we get an airbrush style shirt like that up at pro wrestling forward slash W H W an airbrush shirt. What do we want it to say? I don't know. Th- tweet us your suggestions. We need an airbrush shirt over at the t-shirt store. If you've got a good idea, I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. He is at Tony Schiavone 24 Lots of folks were surprised by this finish here because the the switch had been leaked based on those MGM tapings being you know released and right. because they're not wearing the belts here and and the Hollywood blondes go over, people start to think well maybe they changed it but it actually happens at the next clash of the champions and Tony you, you had made reference to this on the show you said something like the blondes reta- retaining the title surprised more people. Uh, than they would normally do, or something like that, you make some sort of reference to this being a surprise that they actually retain. do you right. remember if the switch was pushed back because of the MGM link?
4: Yeah, it was MGM oh. started to MGM started to control what we did MGM started to control what we started to do. Eric said as we move forward, Eric said, we can't let a good idea that we have. We can't throw away a good idea that we have because of something that we taped down the road right. at MGM, uh, and so it, that started the change. But at during that time, what happened at MGM started to, to kind of guide the ship, and which was, I, I thought we could do. I thought we could pull it off. I really thought we could. I thought it just took some thought, right, and some pre-planning. Before. But it ended up screwing us. And it, it's, it's, the reason, it's one of the reasons we stopped doing it. Before we get to the next match, we see Eric Bischoff talking
0: to Missy again. And they're discussing mm. the next match as being an Iron Man match. And Missy says something to the effect of, two men for 30 minutes is like a dream and makes a face. Yes. Uh, was this part of her sexual harassment lawsuit that she
4: would ultimately file? I don't think so I think this was her uh, freestyling here Okay, so you don't think anybody
0: scripted her with that I just assumed That if somebody scripted her with it It had to be Klondike Bill (laughs) He would have loved to have scripted her Um, Any sort of um, Comment Uh, you want to add To two minutes for 30 minutes Is like a dream
4: No, I don't want to get involved in any uh, Sexual harassment stuff I wasn't,
3: uh, I wasn't, listen, I wasn't look, suggesting
4: it, to do that. Listen, uh, Missy Hyatt in her day was superb. Roll tide, son. Yes, sir, buddy. Was absolutely. I mean, if we talked about this, even when she became the nasty girls with the nasty boys outstanding. Wow.
0: It was like, there's like a 10 year run there where yeah. it's just, man, it's like a sore Peter. It's hard to beat that like 86 to 96. Woo. All right, yes, so sir, man.
4: So that's the, uh, <laughs> I just thought, I thought she played the part very well, and I thought she played the. Uh, there was a time where uh, I think it was where we had a clash or something at uh, center stage, and I had a chance to do some things with her mm. uh, out front. Mm. No, on camera. Oh, you filmed front. it. You filmed it. That's awesome. Can we? We're we gonna start selling that. I thought she played the part very well when we filmed it yeah
0: Dustin Rhodes and Rick Reard go to a 30 minute time limit draw for the UDS title uh, this yeah. is an Iron Man match each guy just scores one fall and then time expires uh, yeah. Meltzer wrote in his newsletter he thought it needed more falls early to keep the crowd involved and he felt that by the time they got going they had lost some of the crowd uh, specifically yeah. he even said that some of it just came off as a little dull. he gave it two
4: stars what do you think of this match Tony I, I agree with that. I agree they should have had a couple of falls at the beginning. But but then again, there's another school of thought is if you have a couple of falls at the beginning, uh, you think, well, normally they wouldn't have that quick of a finish. Right, right, right. So you got to drag the match out a little bit to have them a little bit spent, a little bit tired to where the falls would mean a little bit more. Uh, I, I agree it dragged out a little bit too long what I came away from the match back then is the same way I came came away from the match when I watched it again and there was one thing that stuck out of my mind among any uh, over anything else and that was Rick Rude blowing his nose on Dustin Rhodes that grossed me the fuck out and wow. it stuck in my mind
0: and this is a guy who doesn't clip his toenails. I mean, so this is, if it's gross to you, it's just gross. <laughs> Do you think an Ironman match like this on pay-per-view is a good idea? Yeah, I, th- I think it can work if, if done right. What's your favorite Ironman match on pay-per-view? Uh, didn't
4: the Hardys just have one recently?
0: I love you for that. Uh, was yeah. this match on the wrong spot of the card? Considering we just had a 26 minute tag right before it feels like this match is really a victim of just placement more than anything.
4: Yeah. I mean, look, we've got an hour of two matches. Two matches. Yeah. Yeah. Placement is wrong. You're you're exactly right. Do you think uh,
0: Dustin Rhodes ever realized his full potential in WCW? You see a match like this to me and you think, man, why aren't they doing more with him? Why don't the kid th- could really work, man. What do you think he had working against him here that kept him from kind of breaking through? I don't know yet. Yeah, I get what people say it was being the son of dusty Rhodes, maybe. Well, that was my question, you know, with, without asking straight up like that. But we just talked about how Eric Watts being the son of bill Watts hurt him. I wonder if yeah. being the son of dusty Rhodes really kind of worked against him here.
4: It, it could have, I, to be honest. And, and I, I think I've already mentioned how much I, I really cared for Eric Watts. Uh, Dustin was a better performer than Eric was by far. So why did he, uh, why didn't he get a bigger push? I don't know. I don't know. The music was pretty good. Oh my gosh. We need to have, we
0: need to have just a whole theme here of, on a music. To, yeah. Uh, they
4: call him the natural the natural as can be. All right. Uh, well, they call him the, all right. We'll, we'll, like that, we'll right? have Matt
0: Coon added to the end. We'll play three themes <laughs> today because I can't wait to play Barry Windham's too. His is one of the silliest ever, and he's in our next match. we see the buildup for the NWA world title match? And I enjoyed the video of Flair and Wyndham brawling ringside during an interview. And then later on another time out in the parking lot, just a pretty cool Mm -hmm. video to build to this match. Uh, do you, but in your opinion, do you think that this Wyndham Flair world title bout is like five years too late?
4: No question. No question. It's five years too late. And not only that. I know there's been a lot of discussion about the finish of the match. We're going to get there. Yeah, I I just, uh, I, I didn't, I, I thought this was a match that didn't have the payoff that it should have had. Then, of course, Barry's music, too. Um, you want me to sing that? Oh, please do. I can't remember the, the words to that. Well,
0: it's awful. Stay tuned to the end of yeah. the show, and we'll have it. But, but, he, but, he, but he wasn't called the Widowmaker, though, was he? No, everything that he's doing after this is all downhill, though. Yeah. Uh, by but, those in the business, Wyndham was regarded as being one of the very best, and even though he's the
4: champ here, man, it just doesn't feel like a big deal, does it? Why, why do you think no, that is? No, it, it doesn't feel like a big deal. Uh, because I guess everything everything on the show was uh, dwarfed uh, based on the bash, uh, uh, Beach Bash 93 uh, you video. Even, you don't even know movie. the name
0: of the fucking show. It's Beach <laughs> okay. Blast. That, that's why this was not a big deal. <laughs> Nobody remembers the fucking name. This is a weird match to me, as we yeah, mentioned. Yeah,
4: it's, it's, look, it was a weird fucking night.
0: It, it goes about 11 and a half minutes, and then it ends when Flair pins Wyndham with the figure four. Yeah, Um, I thought it was a fuck-up. You almost never saw that. A lot of people think that. We'll get to it. Uh, Meltzer thought Wyndham looked like he'd rather be anywhere else but right here and said he lacked fire. He wrote specifically, a lot of people went in with the expectations that this would be like the classic matches these two had years ago, but that simply wasn't possible. Let me take a timeout for a minute. If you haven't seen Barry Wyndham and Ric Flair wrestle in like 86, 87, go out of your way to find it. They had some matches in 86, that are outstanding uh i know battle of the belts in february of 86 that's an hour-long match that's out there somewhere it's outstanding i can't recommend it highly enough let's get back to Meltzer. if Wyndham's injury was as serious as we've been led to believe his performance without favoring the bad leg at all and going through all the spots was impressive it was almost eerie the lack of heat even though they never slowed down Wyndham missed the elbow drop off the top rope and was pinned with the figure four the finish came off bad since it looked like a mistake and it almost came out of nowhere since Wyndham didn't even struggle in the hole before laying down. Even Flair's post-match interview energy couldn't save what appeared to be a title change that nobody cared about and a piece of wrestling history that was forgotten even when it happened. Two and a half stars. Yeah, Tony, what happened here? Why wasn't this the classic we'd seen from these two before? It didn't feel like it was clicking. Uh, lots of people say that Barry had heat with Rick over the way he left, and now he's coming back, and he's
4: got the boo-boo face here. What's your two cents on this? I don't know about the heat between Rick and Barry, but I think it was pretty apparent from our discussions, uh, Jesse and I during the course of that broadcast and leading up to that, talking about Rick Flair trying to win the world title for the 10th time, that Flair being a 10-time world champion was the big story in this. So it was almost a foregone conclusion that he was going to win it. Right. And and I think Barry knew that. So I think that the match itself meant nothing. We were just going to put the strap on Flair for the 10th time. And that overshadowed everything. Uh, and I agree, this wasn't the Barry Wyndham rick Flair match that you had in the past. Rick, I thought, did a good job at the start of this match because Rick had done this in the past. You and I just talked about this. You had two matches that kind of drug the show down a little bit of 30 minutes each. So we had an hour of matches that kind of drug a little bit. Flair knowing this is going to start his match off hot to the point to where he did two, not one, but two upside down flips on the turnbuckle. You know, he, he'd been known to do one every match, but he did two. So Flair is working hard to really pick up the energy in this one. And it didn't have it. Uh, and, uh, again, I thought the fact that we were going to put the, the belt on Barry Windham for a 10th time or on flair for a 10th time overshadowed everything. Flair even gave a nod to Barry Wyndham in the interview afterwards. Absolutely. He did. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: What do you think was up with the finish? Was it a fuck up or was that the plan? Uh, I thought it was a fuck up. It looked like it. It looked like, uh, Barry was surprised. Rick wasn't sure to release the hold or not. Right. The referee was going with it because it happened. You know, he left his shoulders yeah. down. After the match in Flair's promo that you referenced, uh, he said that he's back and that everybody knows there's only one champ. Uh, And this is his first title win since coming back from the WWF. And technically, it's the first time that an NWA world title has has changed on a uh, WCW pay-per-view. Of course, there were some pay-per-views that were branded NWA. But there's just a lot of history going on here. Is this as big of a deal as it should have been, in your opinion? It doesn't feel like it
4: to me. No, no, it, uh, it should have been a bigger deal, but it came across as going through the motions, going through the motions. Uh, again, the, the beach blast 93 movie and main event sapped the energy out of everything in this pay-per-view. Don't you think I do,
0: well, let's get to it. It's our main event. And first I got to ask, why was Colonel Parker needed for this? It feels like he's just thrown in here. It, well, there's rumor and innuendo that. He put himself in this spot because he was part of the booking committee and had the stroke to do so. No, that's not true. Okay. Sting and Davey Boy Smith beat uh, Big Van Vader and Sid Vicious in about 16 and a half minutes. Meltzer gave it three and three-quarter stars, which is very impressive if you consider the way Dave usually writes about Sid. He specifically praised it, saying, It was an amazing contrast just how up the crowd got when these four came out as compared with the previous two matches. Uh, Tony, the crowd was super hot for this. Do you credit the movie? The fact that yeah. Sting was just that over? Were they cheering for a WWF star in Bulldog? And he was perceived as being larger than life. At this point, Sid had main evented at WrestleMania. Uh, what, did the did the heels have super heat? What's the reason for the crowd being so into this? And maybe not so much the matches they've seen so far.
4: Well, I, I think I think it's kind of all of the above with, the least part of it being the movie. Right. I, I think you need to put in another part here, and that is Vader was a great freaking super heel, badass guy, and his shit looked legit. So when he was hitting Davy Boy and hitting Sting with his forearm shots, they were legit. They were freaking legit. And if you're watching the match as a fan and you see them crumple down into the corner and he is just nailing them, you really want the baby faces to come back. Uh, and I, I, I think Leon's work is maybe it's, maybe it's not underrated, but I feel it is.
0: I'm glad you said I've, that. Meltzer wrote here, quote, Vader was the star of the show once again. And this is just me talking. Uh, Vader 92, 93. I, mean, I don't know how fucking good he is here, but he's got to be near the top of the business. I mean, this is, this is the primo work we ever saw from Vader in 92, 93. Don't you
4: think? Well, I agree. I, when we were at WrestleCon, uh, I saw Leon uh, and of course he's, he's, uh, you know, he's been sick. Uh, he says, and, uh, and I told him, I said, Leon, I said, you, I said in, in your day, man, you were the best. You were as good, a big, bad heel as w- we were in the business. And he really appreciated that. And I'm sincere about that. He was also kind of like a Scott Steiner where he was a scary fucking dude. And you saw at the end of the match where he went down and grabbed towards us. And that legitimately scared the shit out of me to where my nose turned orange I love you for that. Thank you. Uh,
0: Vader did a moonsault on Smith and Sting body slammed Vicious on the ramp and then sprinted down the ramp and dives over the top rope onto Vader at just the right moment to prevent the three count. So Vader goes for a backsplash, but Davey hooks him and pins him with the crucifix. And there's your match. What would you think of the match and the finish here? I thought overall it was, uh, it was pretty good. When you see it on paper, you think, oh, this will be a shit show. But the crowd was into it. They popped for everything. Uh, The finish was out of nowhere. It didn't hurt any of the the super heels. The baby faces get the win, but then get the heck out of Dodge. I felt like everybody came out of here looking pretty good.
4: Exactly. And this is is a, a tale and a moral for anybody in the wrestling business that is a wrestler and was a wrestler back then. And it basically is based on Vader, who ended up doing the job in this one. You can still do the job, but you can still come out looking pretty damn good, even if you do the job, and Vader did. Uh, so uh, it's something that I really think that wrestlers, even the guys working in the independent ranks today, should look at and, and think about because, you know, I don't know how it is now, but back then, man, you know, everybody was scared to do a job because they felt that they were moving down the ladder. Leon White did a job that that night and still came out looking at, as Dave Meltzer said, the star of the show. Uh, how good, you, good finish, good finish. How will you remember Beach Blast
0: 93?
4: Uh, two ways. I'll remember Beach Blast 93. I know everybody wants to say the movie. Uh, I'll remember, again, I, I guess it's because of the way I am. I'll remember Beach Blast for uh, that final match, uh, Vader grabbing me, Scaring the shit out of me. And Rick Rude blowing his nose on Dustin Rhodes three times. So there you go. Let's That's go to, how I'll remember it. Let's go to Twitter. We asked you to
0: join our conversation. You can actually vote and ask us questions about whatever wins the poll. If you just follow us on Twitter, it's at WHW Monday. Uh, let's go to Joey. He says Is it true Colonel Parker was banned from wearing swim trunks on the beach mini film <laughs> because his Shivani kept falling out? Oh. Wow. Is that, is that a way
4: of calling me a dick? I don't Is that what that means? I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's kind of, uh, I don't know the story behind that. And who uh, sent that tweet? That would be, uh, Joey on Twitter. Joey Graben. Yeah. Hey, Joey. Fuck you. Go fuck yourself.
0: Next one. Uh, Anthony wants to know why was Sid in ring gear, but wearing sandals and Vaders in shoes, but not boots. Uh, because it's the beach. Dumbass. <laughs> I was waiting on that. Alan wants to know what the hell was up with the finish of the Simmons Orndorff match. I saw at least three other guys throw another over the top in the pay-per-view with no DQ. Yeah.
4: I can't answer that with the exception of, I didn't know what the fuck was going on either.
0: John wants to know, is there any truth to the rumor that Ole Anderson didn't want Vader to do the moonsault in the main event? No. Uh, Rassler82 no. wants to know if you can give any additional insight on Sharon Cedillo and Ole Anderson. We've kind of already covered that. Anything else you we want did. to mention before we no. put a bow on
4: that? Okay. No, it, it's, uh, again, I I had heard they, they were living together at one time. That's Lee, what I heard. Sure. I heard.
0: Lee wants to know, was there any heat on Barry or the ref for botching the finish
4: of the flare match? I think there was a little bit of heat on Randy Anderson. To be honest with you, I, I felt it was didn't he, uh you know. I mean, look, and Randy is, was a great referee, and, and he is he has gone from us now. But you know, he could have if that in fact Barry was down for the one, two, three, and Randy said, you know, I called the three, I couldn't change it. Of course, he could have changed it. Sure, he could have. He, you know, he could. You can do anything. It's like Hollywood. You can do anything. So. I think there may have been a little bit of heat on that. I, I still think it was a, a botched finish. I uh, Ma- do.
0: Matthew Rood says, did anyone feel like they were sold a bill of goods when it came to bulldog? He seems like a failed experiment
4: in WCW. I think we got, I think we got something out of bulldog. I don't know if we got as much as we wanted, but I think we got something out of bulldog, you know, you know, Davey was, uh, at one time, the British bulldogs were a fantastic tag team and, uh, was just not the same now with debut boy Smith here in 1993. Uh, but I I think, I think we got plenty out of it. We got something out of him in the main event in this one, because it was a good main event. Jesse Ace wants to know, why did they change the name
0: from beach blast to bash at the beach? And Zach actually freestyles. Maybe it was because Bischoff or Hogan wanted a unique name for Hogan's first pay-per-view. Do you know, do you know why it changed from 93 to 94? Because this is our last Beach Blast, and after this, it's just the Bash of the Beach.
4: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, it was probably, uh, I'm thinking, I remember thinking about this, probably in because Great American Bash was one of our standards, and they wanted to capitalize on the word bash instead of blasts.
0: Uh, late to the nitro party, things like you and I do. He says, why do you think Max Payne never got a bigger push? Seems like he could go in the ring and
4: had a unique look. Uh, didn't Max Payne from what I remember and even what I've read since then didn't, uh, wasn't he kind of vocal about some things and, uh, yeah, I I mean, he he filmed some stuff and, uh, he did some
0: stuff that maybe was against locker room etiquette, I believe.
4: Right, right, right. And, and that's not that's never good.
0: Uh another question from late to the nitro party has Tony ever taken the bad blaster to the face?
4: I have not. Uh I am- would, but there's <laughs> no more bad <laughs> he looked up from that, didn't he? That would, but I don't think there's a bad blaster out there anymore. Well, Tom thinks <laughs> probably got one. Rick Rude had a
0: reputation of being testy. How did he and Dustin Rhodes get along backstage? That comes to us from what a minute.
4: Do you remember them having any issues? You mentioned the snot. He was testy, but rude. Rude was the type of guy who was testy outside of the ring, but was always a, was a pro in the ring. He really was. Aaron has the question that, you know, our listeners
0: need to know. Why Mm -hmm. does Sid tape his wrists when he goes for walks on the beach?
4: Uh, maybe I would think it's because it's the beach. And his wrists have a tendency to burn. I was going to say sunburned.
0: maybe he tapes them because, at least here in Alabama, all the good softball tournaments are held near the beach. So if he needs to kind of reinforce his wrists for that good swinging action, yeah, he's ready. That's you know, that's that's better than mine. Yeah. Um. St- Stefan wants to know: Were there ever any plans for Davy Boy Smith to become WCW World Champion? No, I think a lot of people could see that given. Uh, you know, his, his success that he had the WWF and that those guys came in with a push. It doesn't seem unreasonable to think that he might've had a shot, but Tony says no. And we want to know what you say yes to. So go, go vote in next week's poll. Easy for me to say it's on Twitter right now at WHW Monday. We've got four poll topics and I I picked them out this week. Tony, are you ready? Go ahead. All right. Poll topic number one. And remember, vote for this right now on Twitter at WHW Monday. Is Dusty Rhodes, 84 to 86. We will cover all of Dusty Rhodes in the year of 1984 and 85, and we'll go all the way through the Great American Bash 86, We're nearly upon his anniversary for beating Ric Flair to become the world's heavyweight champion for the second time, what might we talk about if Dusty 84, 85, 86 wins?
4: I think we'll talk about Dusty uh, bringing me into the business, smart me up to the business, and... Me starting to really respect him uh, as a as a booker and a creative mind. Because think what you want about him. He was a creative guy. No doubt about it. Yep. Poll topic number two. Uh, by the way,
0: I want Dusty Rhodes 84, 85, 86 to win. That's my favorite of anything on the poll. Uh, poll topic number two. The Road Warriors. Recently on Bruce's podcast, we covered demolition. Lots of people say that they were simply a Road Warrior ripoff. Well, let's talk about the originals. What might we talk about if we cover the road warriors and Jim Crockett and
4: WCW? Uh, Well, we're going to talk about how they change the road warriors. I think change things in wrestling. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I think you, if uh, you want to hear why I think they change things, you need to vote vote for for the road.
0: There you go. Poll topic number three, one of the most iconic feuds in the history of Jim Crockett promotions and many people argue culminated in the very best I quit match ever. It's Magnum T.A., Tully Blanchard. We'll cover their entire feud. Uh, Well, actually, we'll finish with that infamous cage match where somebody did or didn't say, I quit. We'll cover that in long form.
4: What do you remember about Magnum and Tully? What might we talk about? Well, there's so many things to talk about, uh, about their personal lives, how their personal lives kind of intersected, I think maybe a lot of people remember that, or maybe they don't. I think it's a very interesting story. Uh, We need to discuss uh, Magnum's rise and fall, tragic fall from the wrestling business. And I think we need to discuss how Tully Blanchard uh, is probably the most underrated of all the horses.
0: Last but certainly not least, the Macho Man Randy Savage's 1995 and 1996. Of course, he came in in December of 94. We'll include that but we'll cover the full calendar years of 95 and 96. So you'll get Randy Savage, 95, 96. What details might we include if that wins the poll?
4: Well, we'll include the fact that I think Randy Savage is still today one of the greatest performers ever in the business. Uh, And how when he arrived, the beautiful Miss Elizabeth arrived as well.
0: So there you go. There are your four poll topics. Let's recap. Dusty Rhodes, 84, 85, and part of 86, the Road Warriors, the Magnum TA, Tully Blanchard Feud, and last but certainly not least, Randy Savage, 95, 96. Go vote on the poll right now, at WHW Monday on Twitter, and Tony, when I look at my
4: clock, Mm. I realize we're out of time. We are out of time, but I want to talk about the main event that has now been changed for Beach Blast 1993, it is now going to be Vader and Sid Vicious going up against the team of the Nature Boy, Ric Flair and Conrad Thompson. And as they walk to the ring, I notice that, wait a second, now the zinc oxide on my nose is orange, but Conrad Thompson's nose is brown. What is that all about? We're out of time. See you next week
1: on What Happened When Monday. Well, they call him the natural Natural as can be Yeah, they call him the natural. natural It just comes naturally He's the son of a son, son. And the son of a gun The horse doing the rodeo bull as it's a natural one Didn't have his shoes to fill But he had to do it his own way did it with courage, strong will Now just look at him today He's walked out of the shadow And he's blazing his own trail He told him from the beginning That i will never fail yeah. Now they call in the natural, natural. He's natural as to be They call in the natural. natural It just comes naturally He's a son of the sun son gone. The Hall's done a rodeo bulldog acts a natural one. Now he's sitting in the saddle and he's riding real high. It's been a long hard battle. Now it's his turn to shine. He looks to the future but he won't forget the past. He's living proof the American dream still lasts. They the natural. natural, he's natural as can be Yeah, they call in the natural, natural. it just comes naturally He's the son of a son, son, and son of a gun The Hall's doing a rodeo, but all that's natural one I said they call in the natural, natural. he's natural as can be they call him the natural. natural, it just comes naturally He's the son of a son, and the son of a gun The Hall's doing a rodeo bulldog, that's a natural one Yeah, they call him the natural, natural. he's naturalist can be. They call him the natural, natural. it just comes naturally Natural one. Now they call him the natural. He's not to listen the me. They call him the natural. natural. It's just.
3: And let's start a couple of blows, and I'ma put you on your rump, Chop, chop, bam, then a left, right, left, and a kick, and a pin to the one, two, three, then it's over with. So give that bell a whack, and I'ma put this man on his back. Cause when I'm in the ring, I'm a wrestling nightmare, straight from Georgia. And if you don't think I'm hard, you ought to put on your trucks. Let's go to war, straight up knuckle, I'ma slam your head against the turnbuckle. A one-man army ready to fight. Slamming bodies left and right So keep talking all that junk But bring it to the circle And I'ma put your body on the mat, punk Cause I don't really think you want none You made a mistake when you step to run Straight from Georgia Water Robins, Georgia Don't step to run Yeah, See I'm like a big grizzly bear Out of the woods that has not ate With a serious grudge and I can't wait To get you in the ring You wonder what's next And I'ma catch you off guard with a suplex Even if you got a lot of weight See I worked out back in my days at Florida State So I can take you out as a matter of fact I'm attacking you like you're a quarterback And whip you like it don't make sense From an ex-football All-American old defense So it's like that Step to the mat and I'll show you where it's at And it won't be nothing fun You made a big mistake when you straight to run Straight from Georgia Don't stop to run Don't stop to run Talk to all the intruders. Just step this way. Got some coming if you come this way.